So I have a very long and complicated history with Babylon 5, as I'm sure we all do. Yeah, we all have very weird feelings about this show. So I used to be a, a huge Babylon 5 fan. I you know, was kind of like in the 90s, that was my sci-fi show. I was I was a little bit obsessed with it. And, you know, then again, I was also a little bit obsessed <laughs> with libertarianism in the 90s. So we all change and grow and become better people, I think, as time goes on. But Babylon 5, I've always been a little weird about. Like, I Richard has not seen it as recently as I have. Uh, I watched, I think, like, up to the third season back when the AV Club was doing reviews of Babylon 5 a few years ago. And I remember talking to Richard about it at the time and saying, this show has not aged very well. Mm-hmm. There are still some good things about it, but it it just it hasn't aged very well. There are some real problems with it that just don't look good now. And The Gathering, I think, is like a perfect example of that because this is really terrible. And but it's terrible in a really interesting way. Well, I have to say this is 90s cheese, but I love 90s cheese and I think societally we are at a point where we're really going to be into that kind of nostalgia right now. So at when you have the beginning with this wretched CG logo and this you know, Stuart Copeland guitar nonsense going on. I'm watching this and I'm like, yes, this is, this is how my, you know, middle school looked. And there is something I think is really cool about that. Again, this is a total nostalgia thing, not even for this show particularly, but for this era of design and everything that I kind of like. I, 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 I do appreciate the earnestness of this because this is one of the least cool things I've watched in a long time. Oh, it's completely not cool <laughs> at all. And and I think that it's really interesting to to sort of we you know we talk a lot about Star Trek Discovery recently because of course that's what's been happening in Star Trek land and one of the other things that we do as you all know is is a Star Trek podcast. And Star Trek Discovery is like the fundamental problem that I found with it is that it was trying to make Star Trek cool. And that's kind of the fundamental problem I have with a lot of television right now. You know, television has to be cool. It's not allowed to be anything other than cool. And I think that Babylon 5, I I kind of hesitate about whether or not I, because I said that this was a failure and it, it is. Like, I think this is terrible. As as an episode of television, like I think there are some fundamental structural problems with this with this episode that we'll get to. But like as a setup for a TV show, like it's fine. I think it's I'm interested enough in what's going on. But then the issue with the gathering becomes this was it for like a year. And yeah. then the show comes out like a year later and like most of the characters are gone or different, and there's like all these new characters running around. And the actual pilot of the show is not this bloated mess. And you're kind of like, what is the purpose of The Gathering? Why even watch it? And and I don't know what the answer to that is, except you're a masochist. But <laughs> I, I ended up enjoying this a lot more than I had expected to. Um, see, I, I'd, I've only seen this entire series once, and I saw the 
pilot under very poor circumstances. It was with an ex that I was starting to, you know, break up with at that point, and I was very angry because he had wanted to watch that, and he was making me watch this really stupid show, and... Making someone you're dating watch Babylon 5 is actually one of the best ways to break up with them. It's in the top five. I mean, I I feel like he manipulated me into breaking up with him. And maybe Babylon 5 was part of that master plan, in which case I actually commend him. Uh, But then (laughs) about a year later, a friend of mine was talking about Babylon 5. I had told him that. And he basically said, no, don't even – you know all you need to know about the from the pilot. Here's two bits of information that are vaguely interesting, but just start with the series. And I did, and while I remember season one being kind of a mess as well, I did stick through it, and I did end up enjoying it. Uh, so I was kind of poised to hate The Gathering, but I found it strangely watchable, which is damning with faint praise, of course, but... It is not as good as the show gets. As you mentioned, there are a lot of character changes. There's a lot of makeup changes. There are There is a lot of difference between the pilot and the series. Um, but that's not See, that I, uncommon. No, no, it's not uncommon at all. And it's certainly not uncommon for a show that, that filmed and aired its pilot a year before the first episode yeah. of the first season was made. But like, I'm kind of taken aback by the fact that you found this watchable because <laughs> again, from a '90s cheese, not. maybe, maybe I, I mean, liked like, the camp it's of it. So boring. N- this is this is one of the most boring 90 minutes of television I think I've ever watched. And and I'm someone. I mean, I always use this example. Like, I'm someone whose favorite movie is a three hour long experimental Belgian movie that barely has any dialogue. Like. You know, I can handle "quote unquote" boring things, but there's no, nothing no. really good about this plot. Like, once you get into the actual plot of the episode, like it's all set up for about half an hour, forty minutes. You know, they're they're setting the stage, they're introducing the characters, some of which, of course, disappear and are never mentioned again. Uh, like the doctor, like the first officer character, um, Elite Alexander disappears for about two and a half seasons. But but then the the issue becomes the plot kicks in and and Kosh the Borlon appears and he's dying and what's happening and oh they've got to go through the crawl through the ductworks and find the guy who did this and blah 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 and you're just like I don't care about any of this yeah. and what's what's worse is that like this isn't even this isn't even edited very well like there's there's something that uh, I think I read a little while ago that really clarified for me why there's so little like bad television and bad movies being made anymore and why something like The Room is so odd now because there are so many uh, film and television school graduates floating around. Mm. There's such a supply of people that have a baseline competence in all the elements of production, of pre-production, of post-production, of actual production, of film and television, that it's very difficult to actually make something that's kind of incompetently done. And, um, like, this is kind of incompetently done. I mean, yeah, the, no. the, 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 sa- the sound mixing is bad. There, the editing is atrociously done in some parts where it just seems to be, like, randomly cutting from, like, plot line to plot line with no thought given to how any of these are going to flow together or keep the audience's interest. The sets, I mean, I'm trying to be, like, a little nice about it. I think that they did an okay job with the sets for the budget this obviously had, but... They look like sets. I mean, I I felt like I was watching Doctor Who from 1975. (laughs) And 
you know, it's all these kind of things go like some of the acting is really. Oh bad. God, Laurel um, Takashima cannot act her way out of a paper bag. Oh my God. No, I mean, I think there's a reason why we have never really seen that actress in anything <laughs> ever since this aired. And even, I mean, like Jakar towards the end of the series is phenomenal, and he is a very good actor. But his he here and in the most of the first season. Uh, Andreas Katzerlas just cannot get a handle on the character, just can't quite click into who the character is. And again, even the I, even the good actors aren't really great in this yet. Yeah, and I I, I think that for for me, I think obviously the the strongest uh, parts of the gathering are Jakar and Londo because they're also the strongest part of the actual show Babylon Five. And I, 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 I would caution you to be careful about criticizing his acting because, you know, this is a script. He didn't have any of the sort of like knowledge about what his character was no, or no. where he was going. I, I, you know, I mean, I think that it takes time to do that. And so and I think, frankly, like J. Michael Straczynski basically had no real idea who Jakar was when he wrote The Gathering or they changed the character. No, and that's true. I, I, I do acknowledge it is a bunch of different factors and some of the more powerful scenes between the two of two characters later on the series does hinge upon having three seasons of relationship between these two characters and yes there is a lot there is not a lot built up there i guess in general i'm just saying the the quality is not as high as it gets later on and i don't as you have intimated i may be misremembering the level of quality from later on but that's a different story well i mean we you know if we if we ever do babylon 5 we can certainly talk yes of course again um, at that time um but i you know i don't know i just think that if you look at the gathering if you look at what the what the disparate parts are here like there's just nothing really here to recommend it there there's some things that are interesting and i think that there obviously it's 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 I don't know. In it's, hindsight, the gathering is so obviously trying to be the anti-Star Trek that it's almost painfully cute. Yeah, and I remember the show thinks that Deep Space Nine is its competition, and the show thinks that it's a much deeper and message-driven show than DS9 is, and it's 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 like a tiny dog trying to fight a big dog in a lot of ways but i i do uh, and again it's hard to talk about the gathering without eventually talking about the series so talk about the series well um i mean i know one of the major arcs later on in it it and ds9 do have some similarities given that for example a an a galactic scale war is the big driving force between their major plots. Uh, and one of the subplots of that in Babylon five is that earth becomes a earth earth's government becomes very fascist. They get a president who is very, uh, authoritarian. And I am interested in watching those scenes in light of Donald Trump. Uh, that is certainly something that Deep Space Nine touches on in Homefront and Paradise Lost, for example. But 
at the end of the day, the Federation is too good to fully go into that. It's just dipping its toes into the water with a group of people, and ultimately the core of that is so. Uh, Babylon 5 has certain luxuries, is able to go darker, is able to have Earth's government be explicitly fascistic uh, without kind of ruining. And again, if Deep Space Nine were to go that far, it would be anti-Star Trek. No, I get you, but I, but I, I mean, I do think Babylon Five is trying to be the anti Star Trek, and and I think you see that yeah. very clearly in the Gathering because I always look at Deep Space Nine as a commentary on Star Trek. I mean, yeah. I don't think you can you can't make the anti Star Trek actually be a Star Trek show because then it's not Star Trek. I mean, I know that this is always a line of criticism about um, how people talk about various Star Treks that they like or don't like, and saying like this is not Trek. And I am very careful not really ever to use that line of criticism. I mean, frankly, because I think it's lazy. Uh, you know, people don't like Star Trek Discovery, for example, but I would not say it isn't Star Trek. I mean, you know, just just very sort of like by dint of fact that it is made by CBS and it has the word Star Trek in the title, yeah. like it's Star Trek. You have to live with it. But because, yeah, I mean, really what, what you have to think about is is like where... Uh, sort of space opera television in the, in America in the 90s was. And it didn't really exist outside of Star Trek. And, and Star Trek was the 500-pound elephant in the room. There, there was really no other uh, space opera television out there in the 90s. Certainly there were other attempts in like the 70s with Battlestar Galactica, for instance, um, you know, S- Star Trek, of course, was was part of a pedigree of shows like Lost in Space, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, and then, of course, there was like Space Above and Beyond that I think was was aired like a year or two after uh, The Gathering first aired. So there were kind of attempts at this, but Babylon 5, I think, is the most ambitious of any yeah. of the sort of like star- answers to Star Trek that were out there. You know, it is a very, very cl- it, it, I think it's very clearly inspired by Star Trek in that, you know, it uses actors and makeup to play aliens. You know, it's it's using the sort of like same tropes and things like that. It's turning them on their heads. And I think there are some interesting things it does in the gathering. But at the same time. As as a pilot to a television yeah. series, I don't think that this is very successful. And, you know, again, like, it's just kind of incompetently produced. It needs to be a commercial for the series, right? Like, at the... End of the ep- end, the end of the movie, Laurel Takashima and her final Rivera words is saying to us, "Well, Babylon Five is open to business. You can trade here. You can do everything." Basically, the point of that speech is to say, "Hey, all the cool stuff we showed you over the past ninety minutes, all of these interesting characters and their relationships, and the mysteries and the plots and the cool sets and the cool aliens. You're going to be seeing that every week. Isn't that awesome?" And if the answer to the her if the answer to that is well, it was just kind of okay, then I guess it is a failed pilot. This has to kind of whet our appetites for the kinds of stuff we're going to be seeing over the next five seasons. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I, I, I think that, I mean, I don't want to keep comparing Babylon 5 to Star Trek because that's kind of lazy. But no, I but also think I, book, but, but well, I was going to say, uh, by virtue of it being the 500 pound gorilla, it's any I, I, I would say any base opera show 
at this point is going to be compared to Star Trek. Uh, certainly the TV critics of the time would have com- made some Star Trek references in their, in their writing about that just because that was what space opera television is. I think Babylon 5 is kind of recognizing the inevitable and running with it. In, in other words, if we're going to be compared to Star Trek anyway, we might as well try and say something intelligent about that to kind of give some points in our favor. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that because I, what, what I was going to say is that I think that if you compare this to TNG's pilot, for example, um, both scripts are are pretty terrible, and and they both have some serious pacing issues, and the acting in both is a bit ropey at times, and and where I think they're both about as watchable, which is to say, not watchable at all. <laughs> um, if you have not sat down and tried to watch Encounter at Farpoint recently, like I do not suggest it because it is terrible. Um, but in terms of the like the actual money put into it, TNG just looks so much better than Babylon Five, and yeah. I I struggle like it's a fine line to walk, of course, because I don't really I'm not really criticizing them for not having a lot of money to make sets that look realistic or make sets that look believable i think the alien makeup generally looks quite good although beside delenn but we'll talk yeah. about that um because that was actually for a very specific reason that they jettisoned after yeah this, again i think they recognized very well they recognized it wasn't playing as well as they thought yeah but like i just i just can't get over how incompetently produced this is i mean there there are there are uh there are scenes in this episode that you can barely hear the actors talking because like they're off the mic or something. I mean, it's just like, I I was astonished. I was, I I have not watched this in years and I I was frankly astonished at, at how incompetently produced this was. See, I didn't quite notice that, but I'm, I'm also not as sensitive to those kind of things. And again, I think I was able to file most of that under, the kind of pleasures of bad nineties made for TV movie. I don't know. Again, I, 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 I think I, I can certainly recognize that those aspects are why this is not a great pilot, but I, I am also, I think appreciating the badness of it. Yeah. But again, I this mean... is, this is the kind of stuff that was, on TV when I was a kid. So there is a bit of a soft and fuzzy feeling. I recognize that were my situation different, I would not be appreciating this. You know, if I were 20 watching this now, this would be terrible. Yeah, but I I would caution you against going against your memory of what you were watching then, because like, I mean, television wasn't this incompetently made. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like it just wasn't. I mean, no, like no, I, some, syndi- some syndicated stuff was, oh. but for the most part, like if you were watching like a network television made for TV movie, like it might have been cheesy. The acting might have been a little ropey, like whatever. But like the production of this has like some serious problems. No, and no, it's and- like shocking how this is like Ed Wood territory. Frankly, I mean, like this is like not good. <laughs> Again, I can't say it's good, but I still. I don't know. I, I I mean, I I I feel like I'm overstating how, you know, my enjoyment of this. This was a great bad movie to watch. I I got a bad movie night f- thing from this, and maybe that's and that is part of the problem with it is that the 
Babylon 5 wants to be so much more than bad movie night. I I think... Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a large problem with it. I, I You know, the show obviously has a lot of ambitious and, ambition. Yeah. J. Michael Straczynski obviously wants to, to tell a very elaborate story. And, you know, I, I, I think the actual show, Babylon 5, does a much better job at using its budget well. And, yeah. I mean, I think one of the shocking things that I read about Babylon 5 is that they were... I forget exactly what it was, but they, like... They basically had a budget for each episode of the show that was the same as what TNG was paying just its actors. Okay. So when you put it into that kind of context, you really understand like exactly yeah. how like what kind of financial constraints they were under. And I'm sure that the gathering, which I, I'm not even sure who who funded it or where it actually first aired, because it, it didn't actually first air on TNT. I think it might have been syndicated. Um you know, Warner Brothers, I guess, was putting the money in for this or something, and they really didn't make much TV back then. They they still kind of don't. Uh, that they they did as much as they could do with the yeah. money, I suppose. But the problem with it is like there there are also problems with this episode of television that have nothing to do with the production. Like the the script isn't very good, for example. Like the the cuts that they make aren't very good in terms of like how they edited the story together. Uh, like the Vorlons, perfect example. They they keep building the Vorlons up yeah. as some sort of mysterious force, but they never really tell us what the Vorlons are, why they're so important, and also their 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 characterization in the Gathering is sort of at odds. I think with the characterization of the Vorlon in the show, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see the Vorlon sending an entire fleet of warships to Babylon five to destroy it. For instance, I just, I don't see that happening. Yeah. So, in, in the show themselves. It, it, yeah. In the show itself, they're a lot more aloof and they kind of are taking a hands off role and nope. We learn in the series, for example, they're the oldest species in the galaxy at that point, and they're kind of the elder species, and everybody has a little bit of mysterious awe. They know a lot that – and none of that really comes across into that. And again, based on how m- – now, again, whether or not the show was as meticulously planned as – they, as Straczynski says it was or not, is up for debate. I know you seem to, you've, you've always intimated to me that it was barely planned in, in other things. But I feel like a detail like that about the Vorlons, especially given their role in the larger plot, by the time of the gathering, they know that much about them. They are built up as this mysterious force that one of them steps onto the station and immediately keels over, and that's pretty much him for the rest of this of of the episode. And again, while I know that the series gets picked up and that there are plenty of scenes with Kosh, and he is a weird and mysterious character, and he has a lot of great scenes. When I am watching the pilot in isolation, I don't know any of this, so I don't know what the hell the Vorlons were, what all of this was about. Yeah, I think that's a really good example of exactly why the plot or the story of The Gathering doesn't work, because they build up the Vorlons to be this big problem, this big threat. You know, they're, they're, they keep telling us that the stakes are really high, but but I don't understand why the stakes are that high. You know, yeah. why is Babylon 5 so important? Uh, 
You know, there's that very clunky exposition yeah. scene uh, kind of early on when Sinclair is first meeting the telepath lead Alexander. And he's saying, oh, this is welcome to Babylon 5. And she says, oh, why is it called Babylon 5? And I'm like, yeah. and then he says, oh, well, Babylon Babylon stations one through four were either destroyed or disappeared without a trace. And I'm like, uh, that would have been like huge internet, like intergalactic news. Yeah. So, of course, she would have and, done that. That's ridiculous. And but, even if you argue that, okay, well, Lita Alexander was in Psychor, and let's call this her first real mission outside of that, and everything was tightly, she's been given a dossier on why Babylon 5. You know, she, she asked Bester, why is this the fifth Babylon station? That's like someone saying, like, oh, what happened to the World Trade? <laughs> I know. Like, come on. At the very, um, at the very least, you would look at them, and be like, "You don't remember? You didn't hear about that? Like, everybody knows what that is." Yeah, but it's just kind of like papered <laughs> by the by the most clumsy exposition exposition that I've ever heard. But anyway, like, so so Babylon Five is very important for ill-defined reasons. It's some sort of like port of call or something there's trade happening there's these alien species that are meeting and i get it like you want to walk a fine line towards establishing the characters establishing the world in the universe while at the same time leaving room open to to establish the story developing down the line you don't want to you know you don't want to tip your hand too early but yeah i think that this episode spends way too much time on the actual mechanics of the plot that are not that interesting frankly uh and it just would have been better served with a little bit more flavor, a little bit more world building. You know, I don't know that you need large portions of this episode to center around uh, this very, very important plot about the Vorlon ambassador dying. I, that's not what I would have chosen. And it especially is galling because basically none of this matters to the actual show. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think pretty much the only thing that has ramifications down the road in the actual television show are the, the you know, the line, the, there's a hole in your mind and the battle of the, you know, the story of the battle of the line. Like those really the only parts of this pilot that, that really fundamentally matter in any way to the actual narrative of the show. Eventually the fact that Lita Alexander has been on the station before has a bit of a, adds a bit to her character later on. And there is the bit where Kosh calls uh, Sinclair Valen, but that's something you only know after you've gone back and rewatched it. So yeah, that is about it for this. Um, again, given that half the characters, given that a lot of the characterization is different, uh, for even the stuff that's good about it. Again, every scene that Londo is in is wonderful, but he's not doing anything in this episode that he doesn't do in other episodes we learn that he likes to drink and gamble and he likes women and all of that we see any establishment of that is already is established later on yeah i mean i don't know i i i I struggle with that because i i think that the londo stuff is the most it's the most interesting of the of the episode frankly i mean and part of that is just the fact that that the actor who plays londo is just great and and part of it is that he's given some of the the harder monologues to give in this episode, mm-hmm. probably because they knew what a good actor he was. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> you know, I think to like his his monologue where he's talking about how the Centauri Republic used to be this great empire, yeah. blah, 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 you know, and and stuff like that is really, really well done. And you get a very clear sense of who Londo is, I think, very early on. You know, he's obviously an older man. He's got this position that's probably somewhat uh, important, but but maybe not. And he's spending most of his time drinking and gambling, and he's also out of money. So, you know, it's just it's it. it, That's what I think the gathering does at its best is when it is using these. It's not beating us over the head with like Londo is a drunk. Londo doesn't have any money. Londo, you know, it's just giving us context for how Londo spends his time, and. I wish that they would have done that for more of the characters. Yeah. I, I think that like you don't really get a sense of who Delenn is. I mean, and, and frankly, that's probably for the best because they almost completely change who she is for the show. Yeah, for the better, I would say. Um, they they do have. I mean, the strongest Delenn scene I think is at is is her first where you know she's with Sinclair on the. Uh, where where she's with Sinclair in the in this garden and they're talking about that and you get a clear sense of the Minbari philosophy and their outlook on the world and how they kind of see things and I don't know those scenes the scenes between the two of them are fairly strong as well but they are few and far between Jacquard doesn't have too many standout scenes beyond his really creepy one with Lita Alexander and while that does give him a lot of strong characterization i don't think that's quite who he is in the show no it's not and i'm actually glad you brought that scene up because it's it's one of the scenes i i wanted to talk about because it just shows you that 1993 was a different time yeah i i don't think you would have i don't think you would have been able to get away with a scene like that um now or maybe i'm just being like optimistic but yeah, there, there's a there's a there's a degree of of sexual menace to that which a I don't feel I don't think feels right for the character of Jakar. Yes, and b just is creepy and 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 off putting on its face. I think there was the intent for that scene to be that the Narn are so ruthless in their pursuit of new technology because uh, of their situation that they have crossed all of these lines without recognizing that that Shakar is able to make this proposition to Lita, thinking it in purely in terms of a business transaction is, again, it's creepy, and I think the show recognizes it's creepy, but I don't think it quite recognizes just how creepy it is. And 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 I also think it, it does speak a little bit to some of the limitations of the envisioning of the alien species, at least in this pilot, because there would easily have been a way to, to sort of not make that scene as creepy to sort of like indicate that, for example, um, you know, the Narn, you know, don't get sexual pleasure. Like they just reproduce once a year or something. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's ways to sort of like, you know, for, for them, sex is a business transaction, you know, and, and, yeah. and it would not be the same as for like a regular humans, you know, or something like that. And and it's just like uh, it just feels like a little bit of a lack of a failure of imagination. Well, it's for example, I'm fine with the part when you're saying she's saying 
oh, isn't that inappropriate? And, he's, and he says, oh, I've talked with my mate. She's fine with that. There's no problem with this. This isn't really – like that part is fine because, okay, this is a very different value for him than it is for Lita. Lita is thinking of the intimacy of it and, again, he's saying this is purely – uh, a business thing it doesn't even bother my wife and that's fine and then he goes to the part of well do you want to do it conscious or unconscious i prefer conscious but i don't know your pleasure threshold and you die it's it's not it's not good yeah I, well let's and i guess that's the part where the scene turns for me well, let's talk about Delenn then, because I, I, I do think Delenn is interesting, and I think that it's instructive to, to look at how much she doesn't work in the pilot. Uh, the the parts of her character that work the best in the gathering are the ones that feel the closest to who she comes in, who she becomes in the show mm. itself. And I, I, I have to imagine that that was a direct response to how those scenes worked in the pilot because you know you think back to like there's two perfect scenes i think that encapsulate sort of what works about the character of delenn in the gathering and what doesn't and the scene that works is the one you already mentioned where sinclair and delenn are sitting in the rock garden and they have this nice conversation the scene that doesn't work is the one towards the end where she uses the (laughs) to torture jakar yeah. And I don't think it's, it would be a surprise to anyone that has never seen Babylon 5 that they never use that device again and it's never even mentioned. But it's just not good. I mean, there's a lot of this that just feels like they didn't quite they didn't quite do enough editing on this. Like, I think someone else needed to put some input into this script yeah. and say, what, what is this? Like, what, what are you trying to accomplish by doing this? And, and I don't know what they were trying to accomplish aside from maybe saying that the Narn and the, and, and the, um, the Narn and the Mimbari are not as friendly, you know, as, as say the humans and the Mimbari or something like that. But there's another way to do that that isn't so patently ridiculous. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, Delenn is somebody who in series is somebody who is very pleasant and friendly and very graceful and wise. And if you anger her, she is steel. She is terrifying. And which is a quality that the Minbari in general have. They're very, very nice and polite and friendly and welcoming and then you push them too far and then suddenly they will they will destroy your planet and everybody on it and every single uh and again that's part of you know which leads into the battle of the line and i think certainly the magic ring scene is indicative of that she's having this pleasant seeming conversation with jakar then she just quietly puts on this ring and she's ready to kill him uh (laughs) unless he does what she wants and again while on the face that is a very clear characterization. It's so Flash Gordon of it. <laughs> it is. There's a lot of Flash Gordon in this, actually. Like, not just that And scene, not in the good in way. And No, no, not in a good way at all. I mean, I think that, like, if you want to make a sort of, like, realistic look at what the future might look like in 200 or 250 years, Flash Gordon is very much not the way to go. 
and I think in a in a sh- in a show that went out of its way to sort of try and envision a quote unquote realistic future, right? And I, you know, again, I mean, I don't want to get too much into this because this is more about the show itself and not necessarily the pilot, but. You know, in a, in a series which is sort of positing that, you know, the, the problems of humanity are still very real and very with us and we haven't really learned any lessons and there's really been no progress and all these kind of very horrible things, which I find very depressing to, to talk about. You know, I think that like Babylon 5 as a cynical show is is something that I don't think I've ever seen anybody really write on or comment on and I'd be interested to to look at that because I, I do find I, one of the reasons I didn't like it on my most recent watch is that I find it very cynical and um i remember it as being a very cynical world but one in where there are people who are well intentioned and do attempt to come together in order to solve their problems and they're not maybe as successful as they would be in star trek because star trek is a much more optimistic world uh i think they do make their strides i i i think certainly babylon 5 views the arc of history is much longer than Star Trek does. Yeah, but I think you could argue that worldview shapes world. And yeah. so, uh, you know, a, a, a cynical world comes from a cynical worldview. I can see that. And see, again, this it's been a while since I've seen the series. And I'm, I mean, honestly, I am looking forward to watching it again, I hope. I will probably change my mind, but... Well... You're going to have to be doing that by yourself because um, I'm not doing it. Uh, and I guess the the other thing, too, is I think we should briefly touch on, um, well, A, the role of telepaths, because it's kind of a very important thing in the Babylon 5 universe. And I, I do want to call out things that I like about the pilot. I mean, I think that the, the detail of the little bit of world building where telepaths are in business meetings, I think is very nice yeah. to realize. I, I can see something like that happening, frankly. And I like the ways in which that scene plays out. It's it's not overplayed. It's a little hammy. But then again, we're talking about Babylon 5, yeah. so there is going to be some ham in here. Um, but it works very well. Like I think that there's something interesting about it. And Lita Alexander is, I think, one of the more interesting characters to not um, make it over to the regular show. And that's more likely than not why they brought her back in the second or third season. I forget which one she came back in. Um, and I do like... I mean, I don't know. I don't, well, I do like her replacement as well. Maybe not quite as much, but it, it feels like they recognize that they're losing an interesting character, so they try to replace her with an equally interesting character. Yeah, and I, I also think that the Lita Alexander of the show is very different from uh, this version yeah. of Lita Alexander. I almost I almost feel like the... I forget, What was the name of the telepath that, that was actually in the show for the first couple seasons? Uh, Talia Winters. Talia Winters. I, I actually feel like the character of Talia Winters and the character of Lita Alexander in The Gathering specifically mm. are very similar. That makes sense, and yeah. Because the, the, the Lita Alexander that we see in the pilot is very buttoned up, is very proper, and that's Talia Winters as well. And then when Lita Alexander comes back, she's not like that at all, really. Although, to be fair, they do. It, it is several years later, and I do remember her having gone through some stuff and having a slightly different attitude as a result, if that's what I, if, if I remember. Like, I think. I, I, oh, yeah. No, I'm, no, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not criticizing the show for doing that. I think that one of the things that Babylon 5 as a show was very good at was 
was justifying character development mm. and and showing the results of choices that people make in a very real and organic fashion. I mean, yeah, you know, it's not, sometimes more successful than not. I'm thinking of the entire Doctor subplot from the third or fourth season is you know not one of the show's finding shining moments, but you know certainly other scenes like certainly other things the show did with like um, Garibaldi, for instance. I yeah. find I find very moving. Or so, again, the you know it's hit, yeah. it's hit or miss. Yeah, again these. Londo and Jakar relationship is in a completely different place at the end than it is there. And again, I think that part at least was fairly deliberate. But I also feel like Lita Alexander is, again, they know that they're in competition with Star Trek. Doesn't she kind of feel like an answer to every criticism that people have of Deanna Troy and that she's just bouncing around in a cat suit and doing nothing on the bridge? And here we have, okay, well, she's an actual telepath. She handles negotiation. She does this. When you have a business meeting, she will be telling you, this is what a, you know, a telepath is an extremely useful thing on a star, on, on a space station. Here's how you would use them. Like, it seems like they're just kind of saying, yeah, this isn't that hard. Why couldn't you find anything for Troy to do? Again... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's an interesting theory, and I, I, I certainly don't discount that possibility. I mean, um, it, it's very obvious to me that that Jake Michael Straczynski was was very uh, influenced by yeah. by Star Trek. So, sure, why not? I think, I think at the same time, though, you know, what it boils down to for me is that, you know, leaving aside all of the the production stuff, which I beat into the ground earlier, I, I do think that the Gathering fails as an episode of television and as a pilot. Mostly because it's just biting off so much more than it can chew. It's it is trying to construct an entire world, establish an entire world, establish the mini world of mm. Babylon Five, and also establish a bunch of characters and tell a story all in ninety minutes. That's very difficult to do, and it's not successful at it, like at all. But that's maybe okay. I don't know. I. Because I think that what's interesting about about Babylon 5 as a concept is that it was really trying to create a believable world. And and Star Trek never really did. I mean, you know, Star Trek is not a believable world. I I, I can't really envision myself living in the Federation. It it never really feels real in the same way that Babylon 5 does. You get a very... Even compared to DS9, which is the most world-buildy Star Trek... Already you have, I think, a better sense of what day-to-day life is like on Babylon 5 than you did by the end of Emissary on DS9. Uh, I mean, there's even shots uh, – I, I, I'm thinking about the people just hanging out and reading, you know, Universe Today newspaper. And uh, there is – or, or, or like how the communications – I don't know. The, the hanging out in the Zocalo. Oh, here's the – and again, this is all stuff that certainly DS9 did very well, but they are deliberately trying to make Babylon 5 seem like a place which is in the larger place of this galaxy. Here's, yeah. Here's, yeah, no, I agree with that. And I, I think it does make it does a good job of that. I don't think it does the best job, but it, no. it does a good job. Well, there's one other thing that I want to briefly mention before I wrap this episode up, and that is... Frictionless bed sheets. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Star Trek's attitude towards sex, and this is, has a different attitude towards sex, I would think. I don't know if it works. I still feel a little grossed out by it, but it's going there. 
Wouldn't you just go in there? I just feel like you hop into bed and you immediately slide and fall off. Yeah, wouldn't you like, yeah, wouldn't you like <laughs> fall off the bed and like hit your head or something? I don't really understand how that's. I don't know. Like hey, you, you want a tiny bit of friction. You're gonna like he's going to. They're going to be pushing each other off this bed all night. It's going to be horrible. Well, you know, it's it's like decaf coffee. It's not actually fully decaffeinated. Okay. There's still a little bit of there's still a little bit of caffeine in decaf coffee. It's probably the same with the frictionless bed sheets. There's a little bit of caffeine in it. Got it. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I think that'll do it for the gathering. Thank you very much for listening to yet another patron special. Uh, we do this each and every month, and we do. We just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for supporting the show. It is very much appreciated, and we will continue to bring these patron specials to you as long as you continue to pay us. So please, put the pay in patron. Hey, that's good. Uh, that's why they call it that. So, uh, <laughs> oh, maybe it, oh, yeah, maybe it is. Okay. Wow, you just blew my mind a little bit. Uh, well, next month, we are going to return to uh the the womb that birthed us that's a weird Ew. i don't know why i went there frictionless bed sheets it's in my head uh we're going to be talking about star trek again and for the april patron special we are going to uh, do a little bit of a of an examination have a conversation about the differences in star trek and the federation between sort of the tos 23rd century and tng ds9 voyager 24th century um i think that'll be that'll be interesting to see all right well thank you again for your support thank you again for listening we could not do this without you and we will see you next month for another patron special